Right, we are on to chapter 14 of Exodus. Um, quick recap, we are at the point when we've gone through the plagues and uh, we started in these plagues with the hardness of Pharaoh's heart, that he was resistant, of course, to the power of God. And um, plague after plague, we read about the fact that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He hardened his own heart to begin with. And then you read that God hardened his heart. It was, it's quite significant, of course, I think it's been mentioned before, is that we can harden our hearts against the things of God. But there can come a point when you pass the point of no return almost, when it comes to service for the Lord, and that he hardens your heart. It's a sobering thought, really, to think about that, that um, God will use people for his glory and God's purposes will be fulfilled, whatever. And you see it here in a very dramatic form that um, through Pharaoh, God was going to be honoured. God was going to be glorified. And it's almost as if God has given Pharaoh the opportunity, you choose. And he said, no, no, no. And then eventually God said, right, now I take over. Now what's going to happen is I'll harden your heart and it will be to my glory. So let, let's just read um, the chapter together, uh, chapter 14. We're at the point, of course, where the Passover had taken place. Pharaoh had desperate to get rid of the people of Israel. And um, the people of Israel had been made ready by God and through Moses to eat the Passover lamb with their staff in their hand and their shoes on their feet and their coats on their back, ready to go. And of course, after it, with the great mourning in Egypt, Pharaoh said, go. And the people of Israel went out. And this is the bit where we come in here where the people of Israel have left, are leaving Egypt and they're heading out. So verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before Pehiroth, between Migdol and the sea. You shall camp in front of Baal Zephon, opposite it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, they are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them. And I will be honoured through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart towards the people. And they said, What is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made his chariots ready and took his people with him. And he took 600 select chariots and all the other chariots of, the, of Egypt with officers <coughs> over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he chased after the sons of Israel as the sons of Israel were going out boldly. Then the Egyptians chased after them with all their horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen <coughs> and his army, and they overtook them camping by the sea. Besides, Pi Haheroth, 
in front of Baal Zephon. And Pharaoh drew near. The sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. And as for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. And as for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will be honoured through Pharaoh and his army, through the chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I am honoured through Pharaoh, through his chariots and his horsemen. And the angel of God who had been going before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel, and there was the cloud along with the darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus the one did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night, and turned the sea into dry land, so the waters were divided. And the sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on the right hand and on the left. Then the Egyptians took up the pursuit, and all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen went in after them in the midst of the sea. And it came about at the morning watch that the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. And he caused their chariot wheels to swerve, and he made them drive with difficulty. So the Egyptians said, Let us free from Israel, for the Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch your hand over the sea, so that the waters may come back over the Egyptians, over their chariots and their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal state at daybreak, while the Egyptians were fleeing right into it. Then the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, even Pharaoh's entire army that had gone into the sea after them. Not even one of them remained. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel from day from that day, from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And when Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord. They believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Amazing chapter, isn't it? <clears throat> it's uh, a 
powerful chapter, and there's so much in it. Um, we start off, I think, in looking at the beginning of the chapter of the the people of Israel. It says that they went out boldly. When you look at them in the margin of my Bible, it's in verse 8, that the, the word boldly means that they went out with a high hand. It's always good, I think, to try and, when you read the scriptures, to try and get a mental picture of, the, of what was actually happening. And sometimes the Bible just gives you um, bare minimum and you, you, you form your, your own picture as to what it must have been looking like. But the attitude of the, Is- the Israelites seems to be brought into question here is that they were going out with a high hand. It seems as if they had maybe felt that they had won the battle. Uh, God had won it for them. They were being freed. Um, we read before that the Egyptians were giving them of their wealth. They could virtually take what they wanted out of Egypt and they were doing that. They were going out with a high hand. They were going out maybe a little bit too proud. Maybe they were looking uh, and thinking that they had achieved it uh, and it wasn't by the grace of God that they were being freed. So they were moving out and before them was the cloud. The cloud, of course, as we've been thinking about, speaks of God. Uh, God is leading them out of Egypt. I think Steve was talking last week about the fact that they didn't go the obvious route. There was probably a trade route, uh, an obvious route to to try and avoid the sea and to to get their cattle, etc., through an easier route. So there was a route that takes them up to the Philistine route to, um, to Canaan. And for some reason... The people of Israel would have been questioning it and saying, why are we not going the obvious route? The cloud they were following that was moving was taking them towards the Red Sea. And of course, you can just imagine the murmuring. <laughs> it, it's so pertinent to today. When you read this story, although this happened thousands of years ago, and we're talking about horses and chariots, etc., it is so relevant to our Christian lives that we are walking today is that God is leading and he's asking us to trust him and you can imagine the people of Israel say why are we going this way that's the right way and they start to complain and wonder and moan and we do that don't we (laughs) Um, God is taking us in a certain way and we question it and you start wondering is it God Uh, isn't it obvious that we should do something differently? Pharaoh is a picture, I think, of Satan. Egypt is a picture of the world. And Satan is the prince of power of the air. He has got tremendous power in this world. Given to him, of course, by God. And uh, you might question why. You get the same picture here in shadow with uh, Pharaoh as being the king of Egypt, one of the most powerful nations in the world at that time. Very rich country. And he is all powerful and he has enslaved the people of God. And it's like 
God is showing in, through the, the plagues and his dealings with the people of Egypt and dealing with Pharaoh is that little by little, bit by bit, going through the plagues, he's showing you, I am more powerful. Until he wears and beats Pharaoh down to the point when God gets what he's after, which is the release of his people. The people of Israel, the picture of them being brought out of the world is the picture of Christians being brought out of the world. Satan has control over this world. He is all powerful and we're born in sin. We are destined for servitude and slavery to sin and we are destined to die an eternal death. But there is freedom in Christ Jesus. So this freedom is seen in the Passover. They are released from their bondage and they're now setting out, setting out, if you like, on a pathway that God wants them to serve him, which is the purpose of your salvation, of course. We are all born again in order to serve him. So the people of Israel are moving out and Satan or Pharaoh <laughs> wakes up in the realisation that what he's done is he's let them go and these people were actually giving him a lot of wealth. He didn't want to lose them, so he changes his mind or people change it for him. And he gets angry. So he realises that he's going to lose all his, uh, his slaves that were building him beautiful tombs and uh, great wealth in the country. And the, the Jewish people, or the Israelite people, were a, an inventive race. They were, because they were the people of God, you know, I think everything that they touched was actually uh, of great benefit to the Egyptians. The hand of God was on them, that's the reason. And it's also why I think sometimes you find even in this world the Christians who have got a godly attitude, who are serving the Lord and work uh, to the glory of God, um, tend, in a lot of cases, to be successful. I don't necessarily mean that, that they're necessarily going to be rich, some, some are, but they're successful in what they do because they do it to the glory of God. And I think the people of Israel were like that. And a lot of the wealth of Egypt was down to them. And so, of course, when Pharaoh sees them going, <laughs> he wakes up to the idea, hang on a minute, I don't like this. I'm going to stop them. And so he gets together his army. And you, you read about this, his 600 select chariots. I, I imagine it's a bit like maybe today, your, your, your best tanks, <laughs> your most powerful weapons, along with all the rest. So, I mean, it says it's 600 select and all the other chariots, maybe not quite so fast or not quite so uh, powerful. But he get, the picture is that he gets his whole army together. And of course, you get the people of Israel going out with a high hand, Maybe feeling uh, pretty jaunty, aren't we, the lads? You know, uh, we've won, we're off, and we're now pretty rich because we've 
been able to fill up our bags with the riches of Egypt and we're off. And then they get to the point where they turn around and suddenly they see the armies of Egypt coming after them. And suddenly their jauntiness, their haughtiness, their boldness dissipates dramatically. And they change and they cry to God, help us. You brought us this route. Uh, there's only the sea in front of us. There's a wilderness and the mountains beside us were boxed in and they cry. Again, you know, it's just a lovely picture of you ask yourself the question, why did God allow this? Why did God do this? And you're trying to understand God. Why did God not take them the easy route? Why did God not keep the armies away? Of course, this is all to his glory. This is the purpose of it is, and it's so necessary sometimes in our own lives that if everything's going well and everything's going easy, we don't get the insight into the mind of God. We don't understand God until we cry in his, upon his name. And I think we've said this time and time again here, and I'm sure you've thought about it before, is that there are times when you're, you're challenged because of difficulties in your life. And then you find that's when you turn to God. And that's when God reveals himself in a deeper, meaningful way that maybe you would never have got if everything had just been floating along this nicely. And I know it's, um, it's hard sometimes, you see, you don't want to be praying for hardship in order to learn about God, but that's how it works, I think. And this is how it's working here, is that these Israelites had probably already forgotten about God. They're looking at how much wealth they've got in their bags and uh, what they're going to do with their money and uh, what kind of house they're going to build themselves in Canaan when they get there. And then they suddenly it all changes. <clears throat> it's also a picture of Satan uh, that Satan never gives up. Is that um, Satan is after your soul. Now all of us here are saved by the grace of God. So he's not going to get our soul. But that doesn't stop him. He's still after us because he wants our lives. He wants to deprive God of our service. And this is what you know, Pharaoh's doing. He's wanting to get the Israelites back. God wants them out to serve him. Satan, or through Pharaoh, wants them back in servitude. And uh, you see the two coming together. It's a lovely picture, you know, when you, you read there about that when they get to the Red Sea, and the pillar of cloud and fire stops. And I think Steve mentioned this last week, the, the cloud moved to behind them and came between the oncoming army of Egypt and the people of Israel. It's a lovely picture of the protection of God. First he's leading, and then of course it comes to the time of trial, the time of battle, the time of difficulty, the cloud moves, and there's the protection. Another thing that's just worth meditating on also is that the talks about the pillar of fire. Now, the pillar of fire at night gave light, 
And that pillar, when it came back there, and it came between the two, it says there was two things there. One was the pillar of fire, and the other was darkness. And it's the same word for darkness is really right at the very beginning, that in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, it said that the earth was waste and void, and darkness covered the surface of the earth. That darkness, I think, is a picture of Satan. It's a picture of waste and void and desolation. And here you have the two armies. I say the army of Satan and the army of God, of the people of God. And they're in the middle facing each other, but never coming together is light and darkness. And that's just the whole picture of the the spiritual uh, life that we have is in this world, is that coming together, standing side by side, if you like, is the things of God and the things of Satan. And that conflict is always there. It's been there since Eve and Adam took of the fruit of the tree that there's been good and evil. And here you have it in a very dramatic form. Now, I know it's, you can maybe read, well, darkness means night, but the, it's symbolic of satanic power, of darkness and voidness. And, of course, the picture of God of, is a God of light. That there is the point when it seems as if Israel are then brought to almost to their knees and they're pleading with Moses, they're pleading with God and they've got something that is, looks on the face of it as an impossibility. They are, they're sunk. <laughs> they, they are, got no future. Got, you look at the power of this, the greatest nation, probably the greatest army in the world at that time and there they are they're just ex-slaves they don't have an army and they're just waiting to be slaughtered or they're waiting to be captured and taken back and they've got no way out that is just I was going to say typical God <laughs> it, it is just so beautiful the way he sets it up He's saying, it's, it's a realisation in your salvation, isn't it? When you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour, it's a point like this. You've come to the point when I have no hope. I have no way of being saved. I have no way of eternal salvation. I'm doomed. I am lost. Then you call upon the name of the Lord, and the Lord says, well, I'll sort it. And this is what he brought Israel to. Because it says, I'll just read it. Um, <coughs> that it says to them to be silent. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. I think that's significant. It's, you know, we can shout and scream. We can argue and pontificate. But there comes a point when it's like the scripture that says, be still 
and know that I am God. But that is so necessary time and time again just to be quiet and realise I can't do this thing. Whatever it might be, and this was quite dramatic, I can't go that way and I can't go that way, we're stuck, can't do anything right, just be still. Be silent. What, why be silent? Because you're waiting on God. But it's, he wants you to trust him, as he wanted the people of Israel to trust him. But that, he takes them to that point, as low as he can get, and then says, right, now watch and be silent. Stop all your moaning and your fearful crying. Just be quiet. Just watch this. And of course, Moses is then commanded to go forward and to put out his staff. And the remarkable thing happens. It also, the people had to go. I think it was almost, there, the waters didn't part until the people started to go. I think a lot of that is, is also in our lives is that God wants us to be stepping out in faith when it comes to service for him. <coughs> Sometimes we can pray about things and we can um, wait on him, but there comes a point when you have to move. And that's where the trust comes in. And saying if you're confident that God has given you now the instruction as he gave to Moses, now go forward in faith. This, um, the drawing up of the battle lines is another thing I did want to mention, is that <clears throat> you read about that in scripture quite a lot, and you read about that when it comes to the future, you know, the, the God's plans for the future um, are very much a case of this, where Satan's armies are going to be drawn up against the armies of God, and there's a conflict there's a determination by Satan that despite all his power and his knowledge, uh, he never gives up. And I just think the picture of the, the armies of Egypt going in to the Red Sea with this wall of, of walls, walls either side of water, that despite the fact that they're God even caused their wheels to fall off, or in my Bible it says wobble. <laughs> he slowed them down. Uh, and again, the power and the hand of God is clear that the people of Israel get through there on dry land. So even although they had been covered in water, um, it was dry. And they get through perfectly safely. The people, the armies or the chariots of Egypt are then struggling because they're not able to keep up, their wheels fall off, and, but they keep going until all of them are in between the two walls of water. Every one of them. Even although they were crying out, saying it looks as if God's on their side. <laughs> so they were aware of the God of the Israelites. They had seen the evidence of the power of the God of the Israelites. But you see the determination of Satan. Satan knows all about God. 
Satan knows God better than you and I do. Satan is well aware of the power of God, but it doesn't stop him in his quest to thwart him. As he attacked the Lord Jesus Christ when he was here on earth, and we read all about that, and you know it in your own life, that he never gives up. He's constantly in there, and it just blinkered. He's going for anything. He's just anti-God. And here you see the evidence of it going in. Until the point when God says to Moses, right, take your staff now and lift it up. Cast it out over the sea. And the walls came over. The water just engulfed them all. And there wasn't one. Not one person. Not one chariot or horse survived. It's just a baptism, of course. It's a picture of salvation. Is that what God was teaching here? And it's referred to, you read about it in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 and 2, about the, the cloud of protection. And that this was a baptism which was an identification. That's what baptism is all about, what we do today. When we are saved, we are saved from our slavery. This was the dramatic picture that it wasn't sufficient just for the people of Israel to be removed out of Egypt and go off somewhere else to worship God. There had to be a clear demarcation line. And this is about as clear a demarcation line as you're going to get, where they not only leave behind the world that they've, of slavery, they're also destroying the enemy. And it's a, again, it's what the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished at the cross at Calvary. It was a tremendous victory. And we sometimes almost say fantasize, but uh, take, get the imagery of the cry of victory on the cross. You get the pictures of the, the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ appearing to his disciples. That that was so dramatic because Satan had gathered together all his power to try and prevent that thing. The thing what? It was the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and the resurrection. He was doing everything he could to stop that. Same as Pharaoh was trying to stop the Israelites getting out. And there was a, it, the biggest battle, if you like, that ever taken place took place at the cross at Calvary. And it was hidden from us. This is the evidence of what, when we talk about baptism, when we who have been saved go into the waters of baptism, what is it about? It's about identification with your salvation identification with Christ who is our salvation and uh, here you're getting this picture of the salvation of the people of Israel they're on the other side they are safe they're free and then the destruction of the enemy I think it's the most maybe dramatic picture in the Bible when we when we talk about um, baptism you know what is the purpose of baptism well the thing that happens spiritually, we do in an open way. And what had happened 
to the people of Israel that they had been set free, but there had to be the separation from the world. It had to be seen. And of course, when the early Christians, they were saved and they were baptised and they were added, um, they were done very close together. Um, and I think that was significant. Um, when you're saved, why would you not want to be baptised immediately? <laughs> um, if that was possible. Um, in order to just show the world, I'm free. I've been set free. I've got a new life. Um, the enemy has been defeated. I'm leaving it behind. And it's symbolic, of course, of going into death and being raised in resurrection. And that was the picture of the people of Israel. They were going down into the waters of the Red Sea and they came up the other side. The enemies defeated. And then you'll go on to read in chapter 15, which we'll probably be coming back to eventually, where it talks about the song of the Lord. And that is just beautiful, you know, that they sang, they're singing praises to God. And he, God was glorified in a tremendous way. And that was just the shadow, of course, of what was going to happen at Calvary. Shall we pray?